everybody. Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are going to back to 1990, no, 2000, 2002? 2002. What the hell's the matter with me today? <laughs> math. Math. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Math. <laughs> My kryptonite. So we're going to go back and we're going to talk about signs. Yes. Yes. Do you see signs? I do see signs. You do see signs. There's a, in the movie, uh, one of the characters, Graham, talks about there's two types of people. There's the people that see signs and see something and believe that it's reason for hope or it means something deeper than other things in the world. And then there's the other people who don't see the signs, who just think that there's a rational explanation for everything. And you're a sign seer, right? I I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle, though, because I don't see everything and be like, oh, that's a sign for something. (laughs) I'm not like all in on it, but I I do think some things are signs. You're like 60% in on it? Yeah, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle there. Okay. I am probably closer to like 4% in on it. I was going to say, you're like no percent in. Yeah, that's probably fair. That's probably fair. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he says in the movie that the people that need, that, that, that have a reason for everything, that believes, believe that everything has a scientific explanation or a rational explanation rather than, you know, some sort of faith-based explanation, he says are the ones that are filled with fear. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because I kind of feel the opposite, but. (laughs) (sighs) Well, and I agree with you. I feel like in real life, that is true. It seems like those that are able to rationally explain most things away, they just have grounded facts behind them and so there's no fear there i i I think you're right i think you're onto something i don't know that his comment was correct yeah that's what i'm so i guess that's what i'm trying to get at i'm not saying that like people that believe in signs are faulted or anything or or, or faulty or anything but i think that i think that that is a a biased opinion the other way around (laughs) anyway had you seen this movie before i did i said i think i've seen this couple times before but it's been probably 15 years or so since i've seen it it's been a long time since i've seen it what's the anniversary for this 20 years now 20 that's crazy 20 years ago i saw this in theaters i saw that does not surprise me yeah well yeah (laughs) look after unbreakable i was all in i was like okay this guy I can dig it. Let's let's do this. M. M. Night Shyamalan, show me your show me your wares. And uh, and I went and saw signs in theaters. I remember being a little underwhelmed. I didn't quite couldn't quite put my finger on why why I wasn't as like high on this movie as I was on Unbreakable. It could be because it is so full of signs and belief and stuff like that. Do you think? Yeah, I feel like it's definitely a. There's a lot of like religious undertones to this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, very obvious religious undertones, but then also 
or very uh, very obvious religious tones, but then some kind of subtle religious undertones as well. And that could be it. At the time, I was not an out atheist, so sure. I mean, it may have it may have hit me the wrong way. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I'm 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 pr- I'm fairly certain that I was questioning myself at the time. So okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, well, why don't you tell us who's in the 20-year-old film Signs? Well, you did mention this is by M. Night Shyamalan, but he did write and direct this, so he he was the writer on this also. This stars Mel Gibson as Graham Hess, Joaquin Phoenix as Merrill Hess, his brother, Rory Culkin as Morgan Hess, and Abigail Breslin as Bo Hess. Yes. Yes, the Hesses. The Hesses. Yes. so right off the bat M. Night Shyamalan I'm pretty sure he has written everything that he's directed I don't think he's I know he's done a couple of adaptations okay but for the most part he is the original writer on everything so he likes just complete control over the product yeah and I feel like Especially later, that's kind of to his detriment than to the audience's detriment. Sure. And his newer movies, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Like, I kind of see Signs as the start of the end for him. Like, Unbreakable was good. Sixth Sense was good. But Signs is kind of good with an asterisk. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. When was Split out? Was that after that? Oh, Split was out way after that. Split came out. Because that's... Six, seven years ago? That's M. Night, isn't it? It is. Okay. I really like that movie, so I feel like that one I liked. But I know some of his other stuff I don't really care for. I mean, the question I have for you there then is, is is your affinity for Split due to the writing or due to the acting of James McAvoy. I could tell you 100% James McAvoy was amazing in that, and I don't have a question in my mind that he is the driving force of why I like that movie so much. (laughs) He was really good in that. I thought he did great. Because in the next movie, which was Glass, I still thought James McAvoy was great in that, but that movie sucked. So oh, wow, okay. it did. It was uh, terrible. Hold, don't hold back. <laughs> I'm not. I <laughs> so I, I I get what you're saying there is that maybe I like that because of the acting more than the story. Mm-hmm. But at least it was a cohesive story, so that way the actor had something to work with. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of gifted actors in these movies, all of his movies, from The Sixth Sense on down. Now, it should be noted that The Sixth Sense is not his first movie. He did a movie called Praying with Anger. He did a movie called Wide Awake. Those movies, I don't even know. I don't, I've never seen them. I've never even heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I really feel like maybe he went to great lengths to bury those movies and kind of focus on his 
twisty suspense movies. Sure. Because those are both, I'm pretty sure those are both like drama, flicks. And, and these aren't, he's not famous for drama. He's famous for having twist endings. Right. Which I really ultimately think that that's kind of his downfall at the end, right? Because you can't have every movie being a twist ending because then people are expecting that. It's better when it's an unexpected thing. Exactly. And... That's why it's a twist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, consider after this, after Signs, he does The Village, which was middling at best. Then he does Lady in the Water, which is really bad. Then he does The Happening, which is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Then he does The Last Airbender, which I never saw. And then when he did After Earth, they didn't even advertise it as an M. Night Shyamalan movie because people were stopping to, people weren't going to his movies because they were getting that bad. Ah. So they didn't even advertise After Earth as a as an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And and the same thing with The Visit. They didn't advertise it as an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It was, like, on the poster, it was just, like, like his name's there and, like, the whole, like, from the person who did, you know, The Sixth Sense or whatever. But, like, it's in small writing. Sure. Sure. And they didn't just give him that line. They gave him, they gave him that line along with, like, Jason Blum because Jason Blum produced The Visit. Okay. And I think all of his movies after. But so they give you the whole like, oh, this is from, this is also by the guy that did Six Sense. Oh, hey, and look, it, it's the guy who did Paranormal Activity and Insidious. <laughs> it's the visit. You know, like, it used to be M. Night Shyamalan's signs. And now right. it's like, the visit by M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, like, I don't know that his name became toxic necessarily, but I think people were avoiding going to the movie because going to the movies to see these because he just wasn't on his game that he was on in the first two to three movies. That sure. first two to three widely known movies. So yeah. So anyway. I, th- I think we've talked M. Night Shyamalan out now. So should we talk about signs? <laughs> sure. Do you want to talk about the movie? That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. So the movie opens with a cornfield, basically. Bad and news. Cornfields are bad yeah, news. Cornfields are always bad news. <laughs> I was expecting there to be like children with bloody, you know, weapons standing in front of it. But no, you know what? Cornfields aren't always bad news. No, but sometimes, in, in horror movies, they tend to be bad Sometimes news. cornfields will give you ghost baseball players. And that's okay. <laughs> but I'm that's not a horror baseball. movie. <laughs> no, but it's still, you know, still supernatural in a way, right? This isn't supernatural, though. Anyway. So we are introduced to Graham Hess, who we will come to find out is formerly a priest or pastor. His younger brother, Merrill, who is who was a minor league baseball player who's kind of come home and is kind of like flailing around for a little while. Graham's son, Morgan, who is an asthmatic, and his young daughter, Bo. 
Now, Graham's wife, Colleen, had died in a traffic accident earlier than that. And Graham left the church after she died. So we're not really given how she died or any of that. That's all kind of revealed. It's the twist. The the how she died is the twist. How is that a twist? No, no, no. Because because how she died because she how she died included the twist. We don't get to find out what her last words were until the end of the movie. Okay, that's what. So we get like little glimpses of like him approaching the scene and him approaching the scene and talking to the cop, who by the way is played by Cherry Jones, who is a twenty four alumni. She's fantastic. She played the president at one point in in 24. Mm. I love her. Anyway, so yeah, so that's kind of slowly revealed through these these little like flashbacks that he has throughout the movie at like important moments in the flick. Yeah. So, so basically the when we first meet them there's the kids find a crop crop circles like it's right off the bat it's bam there's crop circles out Mm -hmm. there which do you know anything about crop circles i that was one of my questions i didn't i forgot to go look it up but i remember back around this time crop circles or maybe it was before this crop circles were like a big thing like they were popping up everywhere but they were kind of determined to be people out with boards and crap, knocking, you know, making mm-hmm. these things, right? Yeah, yeah. I was wondering because you don't really hear about this anymore, right? That was my question: is is this still something, a phenomenon that people are trying to <laughs> perpetuate out there? I, it, I I don't know. It it's I, I want to say probably the first time they started to come to like the the consciousness, the public consciousness in like the seventies, and. The 70s and the 80s, they were very, like, you know, prevalent as, like, oh, in the UFO community, as, like, oh, mm-hmm. this is a this is a sign, mm-hmm. right? That's why these, that's why we have crop circles, because they're, quote, unquote, a sign that we've been visited by alien races. Now, to be fair, before I go any further, because some of this stuff that I'm going to say is going to sound like maybe I don't believe this, but, guys, I do believe that there are, uh, that there are, other civilizations out there, I don't know if they have visited us. I'm not saying that they have or have not. But for the purposes of this movie, the crop circle, they, they use the crop circles as signs that we've been visited. So when they find the crop circles, the cop, the sheriff, they call the sheriff. Because, you know, they look like they've been vandalized. Right. And she shows up. Is she a sheriff or is she just a police officer? I have no idea. Maybe she's just the police. Maybe she's just a police officer. I don't know if she's the sheriff. She should be because she's cool. But that's just because I like Cherry Jones, so I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, when they call the police, they they send an officer out. They go out to the field to you know for Graham to show her you know what happened to his crops and while they're there the family dog one of the family dogs attacks the children and Morgan kills it with a barbecue fork this would be such a devastating thing for a kid to do right I mean it's scary but yet it's your family dog right yeah yeah it's it again look they killed the dog to give you the 
the, to set everybody on edge. I'm not sure I understand the part of why the dogs were going crazy. I know the sh- sheriff, I'm just going to call her sheriff. I know the sheriff was mentioning dogs locally had all been getting really aggressive, like a predator was around or something. But why would that make them attack the humans? I, I didn't get that part. I don't know why the dog would attack the humans either. The dogs definitely are like barking at like whatever's out there. Mm-hmm. And, and I could a... see them getting aggressive because of a predator around Yeah, too. absolutely, absolutely. So after the dog incident, they start to hear reports of crop circles kind of appearing around the globe. And then they start seeing reports that there are lights in the sky over a city in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like now we're starting to see like there's something more to this than just crop circles. It's maybe not vandalism. Right, right. And then after that, they hear somebody outside, basically, and thinking that it is local ruffians named the Wolfington Brothers or something. Lyle Pritchett and the Wolfington Brothers is what they is what they keep calling it. Well, Lyle Pritchett and the Wolfington Brothers. Yeah, Merrill looks out his window and up on top of the barn, he sees a tall, dark figure. Right. So yeah, we get the there. first view of the alien at this point. Now you don't see him real close; it's just a dark silhouette. But and it doesn't look alien; it just looks. No, like it looks like a tall a person. Yeah, yeah, like a human. Well, it's far enough away that you don't really see it. See it, right. other than there's something standing out there. Right. So they go outside to basically chase these guys down and scare them because they think, "Hey, these are the ones that are vandalizing our farm." If we put, you know, the fear of God in them or whatever, then maybe they'll stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This whole running around the house thing was kind of funny. You've got the pastor who doesn't swear and doesn't say crazy things. And he's, he's t- his brother's telling him, you know, act crazy and, you know, swear or whatever he says, you right. know. And, and he runs around and he's like, I'm insane with anger. I'm going to kick your ass. And he's all proud that I swore when he gets to the end, you know, and the other guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of comedy in here. It was, yeah, it was yeah. funny. I It made me chuckle. So It works for me. I yeah. thought it was funny. I, th- I think a lot of that has to do with the subtle performance of Mel Gibson mm-hmm. early on, where he's just kind of understated. And for him to kind of burst like that was, was I think, effective. Yeah. So they don't find anybody, but they do figure that when, when they're chasing them, when, after they're done chasing them around the house, somehow the, their prey, that's a reference to our last movie. Just kidding. It's not. <laughs> but somehow the, the creature that they're chasing ends up on the roof and Meryl is like, how, how the hell did he get up there that quick? Right. Yeah. And then they start, then there's other weird stuff that goes on. They start being able to hear like weird noises on a baby monitor because Morgan, the son, is told by the police officer that comes out that you can use a baby monitor as kind of like a CB. Mm -hmm. And so he pulls up, he pulls out Bo's old baby monitor Mm -hmm. and he's using that, but he hears like weird noises on it. Like clicking noises Clicking and like, yeah, like, which turns out later to be the aliens talking. Mm Mm-hmm. But they can't figure out, like, where that's coming from or anything like that. And then Graham finds... He goes out to, like, look at one of the crop circles. 
Why was he out there? It was late at night. He heard no- he heard a noise, and he went out there into okay. the cornfield. He like wandered out into the cornfield, and then he sees like a an alien leg. Yeah, this whole part was scary too because he's running through here. He's got the flashlight, and mm-hmm. you keep hearing, you know, you hear these noises, and he, you know, he's turning and not seeing it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's building up some suspense. Yeah, and then of course, yeah, he sees this alien leg and you almost kind of see the whole side of it because you see almost up to the shoulder or something i think and then it steps back Ooh, that was creepy that was <laughs> that was a good job on the creep factor so i think the i think the corn really helps that i there's something about corn and the fact that you can get lost in it mm-hmm. and I, th- I think it was an effective and smart use of the environment to to create that suspense because so my question was was graham also a farmer as well as being a pastor because he didn't grow that corn in six months no i didn't take it that he was the farmer i guess i took it that he just lived on the farm and that there's other farmers around that have the fields? I well, don't know. that's their field. It is their field. And the Well, then cop... obviously he is a farmer too then. <laughs> yeah, and the cop refers to the corn as his crops. Yeah. Well, maybe he was a farmer and a pastor before. I mean, he could be. I mean, farmers are busy like... If, you have, if you're a crop farmer, you're busy spring and you're busy in the fall really because mm-hmm. you got your planting time and you've got your harvesting time but winter you're really not doing a whole lot summer you kind of go out and do some stuff but you're not real busy so you could i mean a lot of farmers that are crop farmers they do have full-time jobs they do other things so interesting okay all right. That was going to be a dig on the movie, but with your explanation, I mean, that's not a dig. I mean, he's obviously got he's obviously a two-income guy. It's very <laughs> it's very plausible. Or was anyway up mm-hmm. until the point. And if this is a thing. small town, the small town churches, the pastor salaries are usually small and usually they need to supplement that with other income. So This is Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And depending on where he, they are, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly large area, but it is north of Philadelphia. It's like the exurbs of Philadelphia. It's got, you know, there's, I think there's like half a million people living there, maybe a little bit more than that. So, I mean. The town that they were in though looked pretty small. It had like a little downtown area. It looked like a small little town, not like a big sprawling city. Yeah, that's that's true. So I don't really know what, I mean, I don't know what town they were in within that area. And I suppose they could have been like one of the more outlying areas of Buxco. But, but the stuff that's closer to Philadelphia, that's relatively dense. I mean, anyway. And, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Anywho, so he's a farmer as well as a pastor, I guess is what we're getting at. <laughs> I, Sorry for straying too far there, but... So they... He runs back to the house after he sees the alien leg, and he talks to Merrill about 
his wife dying and saying that her last words were tell Meryl the slinks to swing away and that the reason for that was that like the synapses in her brain were firing and she was recalling old memories it wasn't mm-hmm. a sign so he at this point is not a believer in signs he has lost his faith he has lost his faith although if you've lost your faith why are you yelling i hate you at at the heaven you know looking up and yelling i hate you to god i mean obviously he still has his faith he just doesn't want to abide by the faith i think I think that you can now again I'm I'm an atheist I don't believe in any of this stuff but I mean I've known a lot of people that are believers and I think that you can believe without following a faith or like or even following along with it like you can believe in a, in a god yep. mm-hmm. but think that that god maybe is antagonistic instead of you know, altruistic, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's kind of what it is, is that like he has turned away from it. I don't think he's lost his faith. Yeah. I think he's turned away from it willfully right. because of what happened to his I, wife. I agree that's 100% what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right. He does curse God later on. Yep. Yeah. So after that, he ends up going to visit Ray, who is the guy that killed his wife. And he's, isn't he the vet, the local vet? He's the local veterinarian, yep. yep. And he is also M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, he's an actor in his movie. Weird. Surprise, it's surprise. How Hitchcockian. <laughs> how strangely Hitchcockian. Although I didn't find him as unappealing in this role as some of his other roles. Like some of his other roles he's in, he's so terrible. And I'm not saying he's a great actor here either, but I I felt it I felt like he did a better job here in this role than he has in his other ones. Yeah. He's 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 not a very good actor. He's kind of like Quentin Tarantino bad. <laughs> but that notwithstanding. But in a, just a quick little side note, yeah. in one of the, so I watched some videos on behind the scenes and this scene was shot the day after his grandfather died and that, and you know, they're talking about killing his wife and that stuff. So I'm not saying that played a part of it, but it might've helped pull in some emotions and stuff. I'm sure that were probably running through him pretty, pretty heavily at that point. Sure. I mean, a lot of actors use real life experience to inform their performances. So that makes sense. Yeah. He's very mechanical when, in his acting. So, mm-hmm. but then again, he's very mechanical in the way that he wants like people to deliver their lines as well. He's got this kind of David Mamet obsession with like telling people how to deliver lines. So like any stilted like delivery, like the, the army sergeant later on has a really stilted delivery. Mm-hmm. That is all M. Night Shyamalan. Mm. I've seen that guy in other stuff. He doesn't talk like that. Oh, sure. That's okay. all M. Night. He wants okay. people to say things a certain way. Don't just say it. Say it this way. Mm. Okay. So I'm, sh- and I'm almost, a, I'm 100% certain the I am insane with anger thing was all M. Night as well. Like, it could be, yeah. He's like, you, you have to say it this way, you know, Mel Gibson. So while he's gone, Meryl is watching a news report of an alien, a footage of an alien taken in Brazil that basically 
is like it's like a family birthday party mm-hmm. and they take the camera and they're like pointing it at this like alleyway and the creature walks from like a bush to like like cross the street across the alley yep and uh, and it's like it's this big scare moment you know like this big whoa 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 you know yeah moment did that get you did that make you jump no because i was anticipating something coming out right but it was creepy still because this is like our first actual full-on viewing of these aliens. Right. So I still found it creepy. Right. Yeah. I, it, it, I think it's played like it wants to be a jump scare because it's got that sting, that musical sting yeah. when the creature walks out. And you've got Meryl jumping. And you got Meryl jumping. Yeah. But like the fascination really is more, oh, they're just putting it right in front of you, mm-hmm. which... That's the only time we're really going to get a good glimpse at these creatures. Even at the end, when we when we encounter one directly, it's all in reflection or out of focus. No, you get straight on shots at the end. No, there's one shot of its face. That's it. Every the rest of it is all blurry and and. Oh, because he's doing this, so you got it head to almost toe with him holding the. It's head. never in focus. Go back and watch. It's never in focus All until right. until you get that one shot of its face. It's never in focus. It's never the moment. It's never the the central piece in the shot. It's always we're focusing on Graham's reaction to it, and we've got a blurry look at it, or it's mm. in the it's in the reflection okay. of the television, okay. and, you know that kind of stuff. So, and I think it has to. Do, I think that's. I think it was a CGI creature. I was gonna say. I'm guessing that has to do with yeah. special effects. It, it has to do with probably. They couldn't get the special effects to look quite right, yeah. and they needed to they needed to blur it a little bit to give it you know to make it more believable, I guess. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we do get a we do get a glimpse of it in a nice big blurry blob of green that looks like a humanoid creature, but definitely not human. And while this is going on, Graham finds Ray. Um, in his in in Ray's truck mm-hmm. out in front of his house. Yep. And Ray is bleeding from some injury, and he apologizes to Graham for the accident that killed Graham's wife. And Ray, at that point, he says, "You know, I'm I'm going to take off. I'm going to the lake. I don't think they like water." He says. It should be noted that. Throughout this entire movie, Graham's daughter, Bo, is leaving glasses of water all over the place. It's contaminated. Everything is contaminated. It's got dirt in it. Or it's got dirt in it. It tastes bad. Right. (laughs) So Ray says he doesn't think that the creatures like water. And then he tells tells Graham not to open. Now, why? I, I don't understand why Ray would assume that Graham would go into his house, first of all, let alone open his pantry. But he tells him not to open his pantry door because he's got one trapped in there. Yeah. Okay, number one, why are you not calling the police and saying, hey, I've got one of these things in my pantry. Yeah. I'm leaving, but come get it. (laughs) Call the FBI. Why doesn't Graham call the police? Right? Why not? Like... Shouldn't the military be involved at this point? Shouldn't I don't they be understand like, why they're we gotta not figure calling. Out, yeah, we yeah. got to figure out how we're going to counter these people or these creatures. Something, right? No. 
There's none of that. None of that. None of the stuff that would make sense to do actually happens. Yeah. Graham does break into Ray's house and does go to the pantry because because Ray said, I've got one in my... Like, I just don't understand why Ray would be like, well, all right, obviously you're going to go into my house, Father, but I don't want you to open my pantry while you're there, okay? Just go ahead and go in, but don't open the pantry. Like, what? What the hell? Like, what? <laughs> What kind of an assumption is that? Like I know. If I'm leaving my house and a neighbor stops by, I'm not going to be like, look, don't go in my house and open the door because the dogs are in there. Then they'll get out. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. But Graham go, does go into the house and he does go to the pantry and he hears something in the pantry. He uses a knife to try and use the reflection on the knife blade to see if he can see what it is, and a hand pops out, mm-hmm. and he chops the fingers off of it, a couple of the fingers off of it, and then he runs. But doesn't call the police. But doesn't call the police. Still, he runs back to the house, and they... I love when he walks in the house, and he sees the three, Meryl, Morgan, and Bo, all wearing their tinfoil hats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> right. The... When he does get back, they're re- they're watching the news, and it turns out that more of these lights are appearing in other cities around the around the globe. And then at one point they like disappear, right? Like during the day they disappear. I don't remember exactly when this happens in the movie, but we find out that during the day the lights turn the lights turn off, but the aliens have like a cloaking device or something, yeah, because a bird flies into yeah. it and then like like falls and then they find the bird later and it's got a neck and its neck broken or whatever. But but after Graham returns home and after they find out that there are lights all over, they decide that instead of going to the lake, they're gonna stay at the house. They have a vote. And Graham wants to go to the lake. So mm-hmm. he uses he uses the excuse of I'm both parents, so I have two votes. Yep. So I win. To give them the vote to go to the lake. But then Bo changes her vote and they decide they're gonna stay. So they stay at the house and they board it up and then they decide they're gonna have like a final dinner or whatever they want. The last supper. The last supper, right? Whatever they want, and everybody decides what they want. Some of them are gonna have pancakes and some's going to have a cheeseburger with extra bacon and you know there's there's spaghetti you know mm-hmm. so everything that everybody wants but nobody wants to eat everybody's worried everybody's scared graham has like an emotional breakdown and then they hear noises on the baby monitor again and they're like okay something's going on because these noises are a little bit more intense than they've been Mm-hmm. Graham looks at the TV and the television is out. Like there's that, I don't know what they call that. Like the, not the emergency broadcast thing, but like that whole like, oh, standby, we're having technical difficulties. Yeah. I don't know sure what it whatever. is. Yeah. I don't know what they call it, but it's it's there. And at that point, the aliens basically are attacking. They're, they're putting up their final like boards on doors that open the opposite direction, by the way. Like two of the doors that they board up open the other way. Yeah. Like, what are you boarding up? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're hoping they can't, like, figure out how to walk through it or... <laughs> I I don't know. 
Anyway, so the family retreats to the basement after uh, while, but while they're while they're doing this board up to keep the kids calm, Graham is telling them how like what happened when they were when each of them were born, that like. Bo had like the most beautiful eyes and everybody said that she was, you know, said she was, you know, so beautiful or whatever. And then that Morgan's mom, after he was born, told him that, you know, oh, I've, you, you look exactly the way you were in my dreams or whatever. And it, you know, it kind of helps calm the kids. Mm-hmm. And they, they end up locking themselves in the basement to kind of protect themselves against the aliens. But the aliens go after the door and Morgan has an asthma attack while the aliens are attacking the door. We see that he doesn't have his inhaler. They didn't have time to grab it in the chaos as the aliens were attacking. And... Graham has to do this breathing thing with Morgan to try and, you know, calm him, get it, you know, get the uh, asthma attack under control, which he does. He does eventually get that under control. And while the aliens are. So just back up just a yeah. sec. What led to the asthma attack, I think, was the scariest part of this movie was when Morgan is standing in front of that coal shaft or whatever, and the aliens fingers come out through that thing it was camouflaged yeah it had its arm out yeah yep that was scary that part freaked me out right because what was going on is the aliens were attacking the door to keep their attention on the Mm -hmm. door while they tried to find another way in and there's this another moment of like how the fuck do you not know this already they live in this house they've obviously lived in this house for a while yeah but Graham's like there's a coal chute in here, but now I've got to find it. Yeah. We got to find the coal chute. So they're like looking for the coal chute. I'm like, what? This is obviously a used basement. And when they find the coal chute, there's stuff right in front of the coal chute. It's a gigantic thing on and the it's wall. It's a huge <laughs> thing on the wall. How do you not know where that is in your basement? Your basement that you've been living in that you use, very obviously that you use, there's stuff in the basement. They've, they, not just like stuff that's stored down there yeah. that you're never going to go and see either. Like that's where like their pickaxe pickaxes. That's yeah. where like you know there's a lantern down there. It's like what the f- how do you not know where that is? Because so like <laughs> there's this moment of them like searching for the the coal chute with like a flashlight that's supposed to be suspenseful. And all I can think of is how do you not know this where this is in your own house? <laughs> and then when they find it, I'm thinking. How did you not know where that gigantic freaking thing was in your <laughs> right. own house? But yes, when they do find it, Morgan is standing in front of it. And that is the moment that he, that, that triggers the asthma attack. Yeah. The alien grabs him. They pry him away from the alien. And then Morgan stacks the, the, what was it? Feed? There's like some sort of corn. There's some sort of yeah, feed there. Some bags that, of something. That's sitting off to the side of the corn chute. So obviously used again. They know exactly where that is. <laughs> and he stacks it up in front of it to, to keep the aliens out. So they fall asleep. I don't know how I would fall asleep if there are aliens attacking. 
no idea how the how I would even consider falling asleep. There's aliens attacking. They're coming through the coal chute, and you've got some corn feed in front of it. That's not going to stop them. No. But whatever. But when they wake up in the morning, they turn on the radio, and they find out that the aliens have left very quickly. And they do a little bit of, like, reconnaissance audio reconnaissance to determine whether or not they think it's safe to leave the basement. And Graham goes to look for Morgan's asthma inhaler. Everybody else comes up with him, but, and, you know, Graham lays Morgan down on the, on the couch and he's like, Hey, I'm going to go get your asthma inhaler. Do you want to, you want watch TV or something like that? And he's, and Morgan's like, yeah. So Graham goes to get the TV, which was in the closet. He had put the, he put it in there because, the or no, it was Merrill. Merrill had put it in there because he said that it was it was becoming an unhealthy obsession. That was a, that was funny for me. Early on, like maybe midway through the movie, the kids had been watching a lot of news reports about the aliens, and Merrill had put the TV in the closet and was sitting there watching it obsessively and saying to and when Graham finds him and he says I put it in here because the kids were becoming obsessive about watching the news yeah. reports about the aliens. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking to myself So then they God, all just crazy. huddled in the closet when they wanted to watch it. Right, right. Now this movie now okay, so this movie came out in 2002 shortly after 2001 shortly after September 11th. This was filmed during that time period. Right. So I feel like the obsession with a news report of something like that is very much where people were during 9-11. Like when that was going on, I remember I remember watching the news a lot during that. So that whole thing really spoke to me at the time. It really speaks to me even now yeah. about that obsession with like media coverage of something horrifying going on, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I don't know where the filming was at. I think one of the first scene, if I remember right, one of the first scenes they filmed was the scene with Graham and his wife at the at the car, and that was on filmed on September twelfth. So did they? Okay. Wh- okay, so did they film this sequentially? No, they wanted. Sort of parts of it. They filmed that first because they wanted to get that really heavy scene set done. And then most of the rest of that is in order by set piece, mm. you know, except for some of the outside scenes they had to film early because it was they were coming up on winter. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. So when Graham brings the. TV out of the out of the closet and brings it into the family room we see in the reflection of the TV the alien one alien has been left behind it's kind of like E.T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that but I think the thing stayed behind because it's the one that he cut the fingers off. Right. I think he stayed on purpose. You think to... it stayed to like come and get revenge? I for think so. His fingers off. Why else would you? Why would they focus in on the fingers being gone? Because this movie's all about like signs and like you know portents and that sort of thing. And so like... it's possible that if he didn't cut those fingers off, maybe the thing just left. Uh, 
okay, sure. That was my take on that it, was, was the alien was there because Graham cut his fingers off. That's an interesting take. I never considered that it came back for revenge. That it came to get him for revenge. That's that's interesting. I never considered that. I thought it was just, we're supposed to take that as either a sign or coincidence. Oh, okay. And sure. I took it as coincidence. Oh, look, it's the alien that, you know, that he chopped his fingers off. Okay, okay. Interesting. Okay. I like that. I like that. I like that there's another interpretation of that. That the alien was looking for... He wants payment for them damn fingers. You took my so fingers. You, you took my fingers. I'm going to take your kid. I'm taking the kid. Right. So the alien has, in the reflection, we see that the alien has Morgan. And during the news reports, we find out that the aliens had been, like, gassing people and killing them and then taking them off. So it was obvious that it wasn't, like, an invasion. It was a raid. They were there to take humans for whatever reason, dead humans, because they kill them before they take them. Maybe a hunt. Maybe they're like Predator. Maybe Good they're man. there to, but they're there not to get trophies. They're there to get food, maybe. Who knows? So the aliens got Morgan. And this is the point where we get to find out exactly what finally happened with Colleen, the mm-hmm. wife. Yep. And we get a flashback in the middle of this highly tense scene. We get this flashback to Mel Gibson's character approaching the scene, the the police officer who is the same police officer who was there at the beginning of the movie. She's telling him, hey, she's been cut in half by this, by this truck. The truck that Ray was driving had, he had fallen asleep. He had veered off the road. He had hit her. She was out for a walk, had hit the wife. And pinned her up against a tree. But it had basically the truck was the only thing keeping her together still. If mm-hmm. they moved the truck, she would die. Mm-hmm. She was dying anyway, but this would, you know, moving the truck would make her die faster. So they had left her there because they the cop wanted Mel Gibson to be able to say goodbye to his wife. Mm-hmm. So he goes over and he talks to her and she's, you know, saying like, tell, you know, tell Bo to, you know always be happy or whatever, or tell Morgan to not worry so much. And then she says, and tell, tell Meryl to swing away. Mm-hmm. Which is the line that Mel Gibson told us earlier in the movie, but he was saying, look, it was just BS. It wasn't anything. Yeah. But it comes back to him at this moment because we're, if we're to believe the movie, it was a sign her dying six months ago and telling him to tell Meryl to swing away was a sign that Meryl was going to save the kid six months later from an alien invasion. So he turns to Meryl and says, swing away. Meryl grabs his baseball bat and goes after the alien, but when he grabs the baseball bat, the alien sprays his toxin in Morgan's face and... In the scuffle, it drops Morgan. Graham picks him up and runs outside, hoping that the toxin didn't get in because, of course, Morgan has asthma, which we're, again, expected to take as a sign that he had the asthma for a reason. It was there to protect him from the alien attack (laughs) of the poison. And it does. While Graham is trying to 
you know, get his son to breathe. Morgan is inside and he is beating up the alien with the baseball bat. He knocks the alien into a cupboard which has one of Bo's glasses of water on it, which we're again expected to believe was a sign that Bo doesn't think these this water is any good, but it's there not because she doesn't think it's good, but because eventually it was going to be able to be used to kill an alien that was invading. <laughs> so... There's also another part in the movie when yeah. Meryl's in the army office. Yeah. And the guy there says, swing away a few times there too. So swing away said between the army guy and the wife. It's not the army guy. It's the, it's the, the Lyle dude. Pritchett, the Wolfington brothers buddy yeah. that, that yeah. we're always chasing after. He says that Morgan, not Morgan, he says that Meryl would was had had didn't just hold the longest home run record in that minor league that he played in but he also held the strikeout record because all he did was swing at everything yeah so yeah. but yes so he starts to, he realizes that the water hurts the aliens so ray was right they don't like water i don't know where ray got that from maybe he splashed the alien somehow and that was he figured it out but morgan uses or Meryl uses the water cups that were all over to kill the alien. And then he runs outside and it appears that Morgan is passed on, but he hasn't. He actually, they give him an epinephrine shot and he comes back. And then after that, we cut to a little later. It's winter and... We see that Graham has gone back to the church. His faith, he's gone back to his faith because of an alien invasion. And he puts on his collar and... And because of the signs. And because of all the signs. He's a sign person. He's a sign person. So the signs... In the, for the movie title, you have the signs from the aliens with the crop circles. And you have... The signs laid out through that are supposed to be the faith-based signs here. So right. double meaning, I guess, right. in the movie. So they, early on, there's a shot in this movie where we're going through the window. And it has kind of a ripply effect. It's just, it's basically old glass that has developed like kind of waves in it. Mm-hmm. So as you're going, as you're panning through that window or as you're pulling back through that window, it has kind of this ripply effect, kind of a dreamlike effect. Like we're heading into a dream. It kind like the Scooby-Doo thing, that, mm-hmm. that whole yeah. thing. It, it kind of is like that. It's kind of like a wavy, we're in like an uncharted territory and un known territory at that point it's kind of like we're going into graham's dream or graham's nightmare i kind of like that i really like the the cinematographer for this movie tak fujimoto who worked with m night Shyamalan for i think the first few of his movies and he also has worked with Jonathan Demi a lot. He did Silence of the Lambs. He's really, really talented. I really liked him. He, of course, he also did like Ferris Bueller, I think. Mm. So like he's he's kind of all over the place, but but he's very he's very talented, and I think he does a really good job with this with this movie. 
Also, the music in this movie. Yeah. Howard Shore. Or no, it's not Howard Shore. James Newton Howard. James Newton Howard's score is amazing. Very evocative of like Psycho, you know, with like that. But this is like. And it almost feels like Jaws or Psycho, (laughs) you know, where like it's a very simple, like, you know, couple of notes or a few notes, but it's very, very effective. I really, really like the score to this movie. So. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. That being said, some of the dialogue is really stilted. And I blame that entirely on M. Night being all David Mamet about everything. I don't I don't know if he I don't know if he is the guy you want to take as a dialogue coach. You know, like he might be good at writing some stuff, he might be good at directing. He actually is pretty pretty competent as a director. I think he's got issues as a writer. But he's definitely not the dialogue coach, you know? Sure. <laughs> I don't yeah. think he's the dialogue coach at all. Yeah. So what about you? Any final thoughts, any notes that you have that you want to share? I do have a couple note things. This is the second movie that M. Night Shyamalan has made that someone has a weakness or something has a weakness with water. Unbreakable. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Bruce Willis character that was be the only way is weak die. with yeah. water. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I never put that together. Yeah. And then I have a couple alternate castings. If we want to talk about those. Sure. Yeah. All right. For Meryl Hess, we've got Mark Ruffalo was originally due to film that character. He had to pull out due to illness and Joaquin Phoenix came in. Wasn't the illness. I heard it was... Like brain cancer or he something? He had a brain tumor. A brain tumor. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. It was found to be benign, and he's okay, obviously, but sure. that's M- why he had to pull out, though. Maybe that brain tumor was actually the Hulk manifesting. <laughs> Maybe it was. It was. And then for Graham Hess, it was originally written as an older character, and the role was offered to Paul Newman and Clint Eastwood. Ew, Clint Eastwood? I wouldn't have liked Clint Eastwood as it. I think Paul Newman could have been very interesting in this role. I think Paul Newman could have been very interesting. I love Paul. I love Paul Newman though. I think yeah. he's a fantastic actor. He's easy on the eyes. He's just got a way about him that mm-hmm. I think would have been very good in this flick. He yeah. can do understated really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I when this movie came out back in the day. I had a different opinion of Mel Gibson than I do now. So now when I watch Mel Gibson, I don't see him in the same light as what I did before. So he kind of almost taints a little bit at this point just because of his behaviors and stuff. But And I don't even remember when all that stuff came out. But obviously he was like that before. We just didn't know about it. Right. Did, did you notice that at all when you watched it this time through? To a degree. I've been working a lot on trying to separate the artist from his work. Okay, sure. And I struggle with that because I can't do it with like Kevin Spacey. Sure. Like I And it bothers me because I really love some things that he's been in. Mm-hmm. Like seven or the usual suspects. Yeah. And it didn't like completely take me out of it. It's just one of those things that when he comes up on the screen is like, oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, he's a oh, pretty yeah. <laughs> psychopathic, abusive, racist son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, but then I was able to just not obsess on it, not think about it, and just watch the movie for what it was. But it does come into your brain now, you know, when you're yeah. seeing this person on screen. So yeah, there is there is something to be said about maybe trying to separate that. But again, I I struggle with it. I really do. Same thing with Brian Singer. You know, the director Brian Singer watching a movie with. Like an X-Men movie, like the early X-Men movies, I have a hard time going back and watching those now, knowing who was behind the camera and what he was doing at the time, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it's hard for me, but I'm, I work on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Mel yeah. Gibson, similar, similar for me. I, I look at Mel Gibson now in a completely different light. And I suppose, it, you know, I suppose it really depends on like, how highly regarded I found someone because I didn't consider Mel Gibson to be like this great actor and somebody that I was like looking forward to the next Mel Gibson project right, or whatever. Right. So like his fall for me isn't so much like I'm, v- I'm vastly disappointed in you. And so it taints my viewing of that stuff. But like Bill Cosby. Yeah. Brian Singer, Kevin Spacey, like, I really liked Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was one of those actors that would put an ass in a seat for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And the kind of shit that he's done just really, I mean, the fall has been immense for mm-hmm. me, for him. Sure. So that's that, the one that I, I that struggle with sense. the most, I yeah. think. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but that's a really good point. That's a really good point, knowing now what Mel Gibson has done in the past and who he really is. And maybe he's working on it. Maybe he's trying to be a better person. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, then great. But mm-hmm. for the purposes of that question, I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to get over. So, All right. Yeah. I think that I want, I wish, I wish that M. Night would do a movie where he didn't write. Now he's done stuff that he's at, he's adapted, like old but he's still the screenwriter. I would like to see him direct a film that he didn't write. Like bring in someone that we know that's a known quantity that can write, that can make an effective script and then have M. Night direct it. Because I think that he relies too much on this idea that it's got to have a twist at the end. Yeah. You know, the twist for this movie is everything meant something. There was all right there in front of you. It was all right in front of us the whole time. Yeah, it wasn't the alien signs. That's not what signs was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The village, I'm going to spoil all of his movies here. Not all of them, but I'm going to spoil some of his movies. The village, the the twist was, oh, they're not really in the past. They're just living as if they were in the past. They're still in the modern world if you go outside of their boundary. You know, Unbreakable is, oh, it was Samuel L. Jackson the whole time, you know? Bruce Willis was really dead from the very beginning. Like, what if what if the twist is there's no twist, M. Night? What if you just tell us a straight story from start to finish? Do you have something to say? Or are you just constructing these stories to try and dazzle people with, like, this big twist, you know? Of course that was all the rage back then after that 
Mm-hmm. Think about it. Like Primal Fear had this big twist. Mm-hmm. Fallen had this big twist. And it's all because of him. <laughs> it's M. Knight's fault. Any other final thoughts? Do you have any other trivia? Is there anything else that you found out in your research? Interesting stuff about this movie? Not really. I think I've talked about everything. I tried to pull it in during the conversation where I could. I see. So we don't really have a Jennifer's Trivia Tidbits anymore. No. It's no. all part of... The entire podcast could be construed as Jennifer's Trivia Tidbits. <laughs> At least your portion I of try it. to sprinkle it in where I can. You You're know? peppering it. You're yeah. peppering it. <laughs> I do have one quick thing that I want to point out. Okay. The stories about how Morgan and Bo were born like what happened, the, mm-hmm. the circumstances, are actually the stories about how M. Knight's children were born. So I, I found that interesting. I thought that was pretty cool that that he'd throw that in there. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, so I guess we got to get down to it. Is this a keep, rent, or an erase for you, Jen? This is solidly in the rent for me it's not bad i would not erase this but because i haven't seen this in 15 years i obviously don't like it so much to put it into a regular rotation but when i watched it i enjoyed it again i was like oh yeah this wasn't so bad so yeah this is just it's something good to put on if you want something a little creepy but not i would not call this scary i suppose some (laughs) people would this probably is scary for some people but it's just a little creepy and I don't know if the acting is good. I thought, I I like Joaquin Phoenix, though. He's really good. I enjoy watching him in pretty much most of the movies I've seen him in, I think. And the two kids, I mean, they're like adult actors now, but so cute <laughs> seeing these guys as little kids doing their thing. And yeah, it's a fun movie. I It had some comedy, some suspense. It had the whole with his wife scene that had me choked up a little bit because that's what a horrifying thing to have to do you know this is why you won't let me get on the roof isn't it it is (laughs) i don't want to have this conversation with you (laughs) (laughs) so how about you well so for me i would say it is it is definitely a rent and it is kind of the it's kind of firmly in the middle of the rent category for me like, there was no chance that this was going to go keep. Yeah. There was no chance that I was going to trash it because I think there are some redeeming qualities to it. I think the, the cinematography, the music, some of the acting, some of the writing, some of the directing, very, very good. Like, you see, you mentioned the, the basement scene where we see the alien's arm grab Morgan. Very, very effective at, you know, ratcheting up the tension. Mm -hmm. The birthday party sequence is very good at ratcheting up the tension. Mm -hmm. So there is some some really good craftsmanship in this movie. But I think that I think that M. Night needs to let go of his David Mamet obsession of telling people exactly how to deliver lines. And I think that he needs to work on making something not have to have a twist because I think that this could have worked really well without being a twist. The dialogue, if you're going to push people to deliver dialogue in a certain way, you better be damn sure that it's going to sound right. 
because there are some like I'm going to go back to that sergeant at the recruiting station. He sounds like someone who's reading like cue cards, you know? Yeah. And and it's it, it man, I like I think those are the things that keep it from being a keep and throw it into the rent category for me. It's good for a watch once every 20 years, probably. So Fair enough. Yeah. So, what's next? All right, next week we are going to cover X. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm excited about this. A24, that's my movie studio. You know that. that that's the... So... This is a weird occurrence for me. Like, it never used to be like, oh, it's a universal picture. I'm going to book. I'm going to definitely go see that. But like A24, that's the, that for me, that's an ass in the seat movie. If it's an A24 movie, they, they specialize in doing like independent films that have like a unique, something unique about them. We watched Men in theaters. That had some uniqueness to it. Yeah, it did. We, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very gross uniqueness moonlight has some real uniqueness to it whether in construction of the film or subject matter a24 always finds something interesting to put out there the lighthouse yes and the the thing about this is, is that you are oh every time like more often of these movies when i mention them you crinkle your nose <laughs> I, I i can't say that i don't like any of their movies because i'm sure there's stuff they've done that i've liked but some of the ones you're mentioning i'm like eh, i didn't really like that <laughs> eh, i didn't really like that one either they just did they just did one called bodies 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 that one is... We haven't seen that yet. No, we haven't seen yeah. it yet. They did one called Lamb that I really want to see. It came out last year. That is not a movie that you'll like. I can guarantee you. I already know. <laughs> but you've seen Uncut Gems, yes? Yes. And you liked Uncut I Gems, I did right? like that one. That one right. was pretty good. Right. So they have... But then but then they also did St. Maud, which we watched, and you did not like. <laughs> they did Midsummer, which you did oh, not like. I did not like that one either. <laughs> But I loved, I thought that was a great movie. Hereditary, though. You enjoyed Hereditary. That one was pretty good. That one was pretty disturbing. Mm-hmm. But I, I did enjoy that. But again, that might be one of those situations where Tony Collette in that, oh, man, she was amazing. So that might have been a lot of the acting that kind of pulled me along a little bit more than maybe was happening. Yeah. But I, I get you. I get you. You definitely have liked their movies. I've liked everything that I've seen by them. You have liked maybe 30% of what you've seen by them. <laughs> that might be generous, but sure. <laughs> that might be generous. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to watch X next week. And they've actually got a prequel to X coming out. Don't watch the trailer for it. Okay. It will ruin X for you. Okay. So All just right. watch X, and then after you've watched X, you can watch the trailer for the sequel. Okay. I'm right. not even going to tell you the sequel's name because that could ruin it for you. Ah, all right. Sounds good. So we will see you right here on the couch next week for X. Thank you for listening to A View from the Couch. We value your feedback. 
please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your preferred podcast listening app. You can reach us on Facebook by searching at A View From The Couch, on Twitter at View underscore Couch, or by emailing us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. Thanks again for listening. Bye. See ya.